Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about something we have hinted to before, but we want to dig in a little bit deeper. And that is a concept of essential doctrine. Now, essential doctrine are simply core elements of the faith, the faith, not the faith, that all believers, young and old, and across all denominations believe. And if you don't hold on to these things, you don't really recognize these as part of your faith, then you are outside of historical Christianity. Which is, of course, the polite way of saying you're kind of a heretic. Yeah, it's, it's the polite way of saying you are outside of all of Christianity. And now that might scare you at first, but as we start to go through this list, you're going to realize like, oh, there is a lot of very basic stuff, very understandable stuff on this list. But before we even get to that list and how we're going to really unpack that, Ben, what makes it essential? So what makes something essential doctrine is essentially that it's doctrine that has to be believed for you to be saved, for you to have a completely right and saving understanding, saving faith in God. Now. That's a really tricky statement because there's a lot of stuff to believe about God. Uh, but it's important to recognize that there are certain things about God that we cannot deny and still claim that we have faith in him. So there's a big difference between understanding how these things work, which is not necessarily essential for many of them. There, there's even some parts, which we'll come back to this concept, but there are some parts that are, are explained as a divine mystery because it is, honestly, it's, it's almost impossible to comprehend. The comprehension of them, the understanding of them is not what's necessary, but it's the belief in them anyways. And it's a, it's a belief where if you were to deny it, then you're denying part of the truth of who God is. If you deny these things, then essentially you no longer believe in the God of the Bible. You don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, it's also important to note a lot of these things that we're about to talk about, they don't really need a lot of teaching or education. So essential doctrines are not advanced. They're not complicated things. They may have a little bit of complexity to them, and there may be some depth of understanding that can be grasped, but the essential doctrines themselves really are just, they're very straightforward statements. They're, they're easy to hear and to believe, even if you don't necessarily understand how it works. And so uh, the reason I bring this up is because I want to clarify for anyone who's listening, if you feel lost at some point or something like that, that the depth of the grasp of all of these individual points is not as important as making sure that you are not denying it in your belief. The goal is that we grasp it as best as we can. And so even if, you know, level one is the highest level you can get, it's that you are grasping these doctrines as best as you can and you are affirming them and you do believe them. Well, did I miss anything in there? Any clarification needed for how I went through that? I think you, you hit it on the head because it's these essential doctrines are not overly complicated. Yes, some of them have a lot of depth and there's a lot of meaning behind them, 
but the actual surface level of understanding that really you need to have is not super deep. You're not going to need a huge theology course to get there. I think sometimes it, it's helpful to have a secular example of, you know, what we're talking about. So actually this one just came to me, but it's like gravity. You don't have to understand that gravity, the rate of acceleration is like, what is it? 9.8 meters per second squared or something like, that. something like that. You don't have to understand the rate of acceleration of gravity. You don't have to understand its its relation to mass or anything like that to understand and believe that if you drop something, it's going to hit the ground. Uh, you don't have to understand yeah. that temperature is the average kinetic energy of all of the atoms within something to understand don't touch hot stove. You know, <laughs> I was going to say that that brings me back to physics class in high school where it was like before that point, you knew stuff falls. Maybe you even knew how much gravity happened in like, all right, 9.8 meters per second, whatever. Then like you start to study it a little bit more and then you're like, oh, there's also the direction in the spin of the earth that you really need to take take into account but we're going to be in happy physics land where there's not that happening so we don't have to account for that and then like if you go higher than that now you're accounting for the earth's spin our velocity through space and like it, it can get very complicated but you can still grasp no matter where you're at on that spectrum of learning stuff goes down when it goes up Gravity pulls stuff down. We we good to go with that base level of understanding. The only reason most guys in our generation know what the Coriolis effect is is because of that one level in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1. At this distance, we'll need to take the Coriolis effect into account. Rotation yeah. of the Earth, man. But again, yeah. yeah. Don't really need to understand that to, to get the idea of things fall. Yes. So with that in mind, I want to jump into something called the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a historic creed that's been around since the early ages of the church. It's been very helpful for many believers to understand what is important, to understand how we really develop our faith. What are the core tenets? You might have heard it before. But I'm going to read it out for you just in case you haven't. Now, the thing is that this crosses pretty much every denominational barrier. It, it crosses from Protestants to Catholics. Like, even if you are in a very contemporary service, you might not have ever spoken it. As I read it, you'll realize, oh, this is stuff we all kind of uphold. Whether they out there say it regularly or it's just kind of implicit in, in the current of the theology that you are immersing yourselves in. But it goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And I want to throw in a quick note there for those that 
heard the Holy Catholic Church, that is little c Catholic, meaning the universal church, the body of all believers. Yes. So that is kind of our baseline of where we draw our core doctrines, because kind of Apostles' Creed, it, it does have roots with the apostles and their teachings. These were the important things that really stood out as the core of Christianity. Yeah. I think I think what you'll notice, too, is if you go through it line by line, which we're, we're about to, uh, what you'll notice is that none of the statements is really all that outlandish. They're not big, complicated statements. I think every Christian I've ever met can say, I believe in God. Right off the bat, we can all we can all say that I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Uh, You know, again, we we can get all of these things. There's not really anything complicated about it. But this is a a pretty good summary of really the truth that scripture points us towards all of this stuff here. Like this is the truth that's presented in scripture just very shortly. There's a lot of other truth in scripture. There's a lot of other doctrine out there. But not all of it is essential. And this is the stuff that from very, very early on in the church, everybody agreed, we have to believe this stuff. Uh, To fully understand who God is, to be able to truly put our faith in him, then we have to understand this stuff. Uh, So, Will, I guess let's just tackle it from the first line. And I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth why is that essential all right so so first of all if we are talking any form of religion spirituality christianity we need to start with god yep now belief in god again first just that first little snippet that pretty much outlines what the rest of this is going to be about because the rest of this is going to help us understand who is god goes on to say the father almighty the Note here is that God is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Like there's nothing as mighty as he. And then the creator of heaven and earth. Now this one, I I know there are many different theories on development of earth, how it's come about. As I will often tell my students when we are reading Genesis and we read Genesis 1-1 and it says in the beginning, God created if we can just start right there and use that as our baseline, no matter how we explore how God created, we hold on to God created. We're doing pretty good here. Don't worry about all the little details, but God created. This is where people, and what's sad is we're only one line in, but this is where people start to get tripped up is so they'll say, I believe in God. You believe in God. I believe in the Father Almighty, that he is truly omnipotent. He's all-powerful. You believe in the Father Almighty. I believe that he's the creator of heaven and earth. You believe that he's the creator of heaven and earth. But then we want to add in our own points. And we say, but I believe that it meant it literally, and it was literal seven days. And someone else says, well, no, but I believe that he did it over the course of seven billion years. And each of those billion of years was... uh, you know, a one day period of creation or something like that. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, it, it does matter. We do want to seek the truth. We want to know the truth as best as possible. 
But if somebody can rationally come to the conclusion and scripturally come to the conclusion that days was not meant to be literal, that there's any form of poetry here, then I think really what matters is, like Will said, that we walk away with the understanding that whether he did it in seven days, seven seconds, or seven billion years, ultimately, God is the one who created it. And not just earth, but heaven too. He created everything. And because he's almighty, he was able to do it from nothing. It was just his word. What's essential here is that we recognize that God is the all-powerful creator of everything. Nothing exists that was not created by him. That's the foundation right there. And that lays a foundation for everything else that follows. If you don't believe in that, then even if you did somehow believe in the rest of this stuff, I don't know how you could, but even if you did, it really wouldn't matter. Because ultimately, you know, if you believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't believe in God, you don't believe he created everything, then the God you believe in is not, it's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. It's something else. It's, it's something, but it's not the, the God of scripture. Yeah. I mean, when, as we kind of jump down the next line, I believe in Jesus Christ. And we're, we're going to just start with that part there, I think, because believing in Jesus Christ as a historical human being, if you were to take out any religious text from your understanding of who Jesus was, there would still be plenty of records in the first like 150 years of the like BC or AD era. There would still be plenty of records that would point to you and say, hey, this Jesus person was real. He was a religious teacher. Uh, there are claims of him having been crucified and people saw him walking around after. Like those are non-religious claims that historians make. So believing in Jesus Christ, good start, but we're going to need the rest of this to follow up with that because just historically believing that there was indeed a human being named Jesus Christ walking around it's a start, but we need to believe the fullness of who Jesus was. That's where we come back to that idea of even the demons believe in God and they shudder at his name. Just acknowledging that Jesus existed and was a person, that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about affirming this essential doctrine. Yeah, because even... I, I hate to throw the statistic out. I, I will probably look this up afterwards and, and put it out there, but I think it was something <laughs> along the lines of like only 20% of scholars even try to articulate that Jesus didn't exist as a human being. Like it's, it's a very low number yeah. of people in, in as far as like the academic world. Um, so it's like the world generally religious or not, except Jesus was a real person. And Yes, there are communities that will have a vendetta against Jesus and they're going to just throw out every other rational thing. Jesus was real. Moving on from that, though. Yes, I think. So who yes. is Jesus then that we believe? And this is again, this is essential. You have to believe this as a Christian is that he is God's only son, our Lord. But he's not just like a physical son. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And I think that's the next place to stop right there. 
is that we have to recognize that there is, and I'm coming back to that phrase, I said we were coming back to a divine mystery here. And it's accomplished here in this birth. So as Christians, we believe in what's called the Trinity, the triune God, that God exists as three in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but they're not three parts of a whole or something like that. That's called partialism, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's partialism. We already denied that. Uh, In reality, there's been lots of different ways to try and explain this, but what's important to understand is that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. He was born as a human being is born, but he was not conceived as a human being is conceived. He was what's called begotten, that fun King James word, but it's an important word because begotten is what happens when you have like, uh, hold on, how, how can I explain this? So one thing can create another that is different but like begets like. So a human being can create a robot. We do not beget a robot, but we beget children. Jesus was not begotten of Mary. He was begotten of God. He was of the same substance as God. He was equally divine with God, but he came in human form. He had a actual real, tangible, fleshly body that had fleshly needs. It had to go to the bathroom and it had to eat and it had to drink and it felt pain. And so in this virgin birth, which is really something we don't talk about a whole lot as Christians, I feel like it's something that we just kind of accept. But Part of the Christmas story and that's about it. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. We, we mentioned it at Christmas, but it's actually a really important doctrine. You have to believe in the virgin birth because it's the only way that Jesus can be both fully God and fully man because he he came into the earth as a human being does with a real human body, but he was conceived not through the power of humanity, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has to be both of those things. But why, Will? I mean, we said this is a central doctrine. Why does he have to be both? Why is it that we have to believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully human? So as we will continue down in a moment and we'll get to the the part where it becomes important, the suffering died rose again part. That's where this part gets important because for that to mean anything, because anybody can can die. Anybody can go get crucified. Back then you just throw throw yourself against the government and you got a chance. But it's important because this points out one who Jesus is as a perfect human being, the the person that can live a holy, perfect life that is rid of sin. There is no sin in his life that allows him to be what will become the perfect sacrifice where his death will mean something because one, he is perfect. Two, he is God experiencing life in the flesh. He is putting on humanity as he is exploring the world, he is understanding what we go through. Like Jesus gets it. Jesus has walked in our shoes. Sure. It's a little different. 2000 years ago, they had the nice, nice sandals. Now we got like real shoes, but the idea still stands that 
Jesus has experienced relationships with each other. He has been betrayed by one of his closest friends and sent to die from that. Jesus has lived this out. He gets it. He understands that human life is hard. He is not some great being from above, just looking down at all the little peasants being like, ho, 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 look at them go. (laughs) He has walked amongst us. He has been in our shoes. He understands our life. He was conceived, born, lived a life. Yeah. And I think often we we underplay that, that Jesus gets it. Jesus gets friends stabbing us in the back. He probably gets it a little better than us do. Yeah. Yeah. 30 pieces of silver, man. What a sad net worth. Uh, (laughs) For for all of our self-improvement people out there. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. Jesus is also merciful and graceful. And I imagine he had a sense of humor. And if he didn't, I'm in serious trouble. But hey, hey, the scriptures read that at least like the book of Matthew, you can you can get a little bit of sass out of Jesus. I'm yes. Sure you got it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, put simply, if Jesus was not human, then this next part means nothing. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified died and was buried he descended to the dead on the third day he rose again that means nothing if he wasn't a human because okay great he's a god he didn't really suffer i mean if he's just god then he wasn't really feeling our pain and if he was just god then he wasn't really mortal so he didn't really die and great he was dead and he was buried and all but like he could just come right back or he wasn't really dead in the first place if he was just god but the fact is he wasn't he was fully man too he was fully human so when he was crucified when he suffered under pontius pilate when he was whipped and flogged he felt every whip blow every sting just like we would have when every he little was bit of flesh being torn out of his side yes When he was crucified and he died, he was literally dead. His body was dead. Heart was not beating. Brain was not working. It was dead. And then it was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. And that's no feat for a god, but for a human being to lie dead for three days and then rise back up. That's the key to hope in our faith is that in doing that as not God, but a human, he demonstrated that we would also be able to do the same thing. And we're going to come back to that concept again. But all of that stuff is dependent first on recognizing that Jesus is fully human. And then the next part on him being fully God, that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Will, you want to speak to that as far as how his godly nature is important there? So the the first thing that I, I really want to tackle in that little segment is that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated in those times and honestly even today to an extent but like there was meaning to that word seated it meant it was done it was complete 
whatever Jesus' mission was to go and do, which is deliver us from sin, deliver us from evil, get us to the point that we are reconnected with God, he's already done it. He is sitting. It is complete. And that's just so important that, that we don't look at it as Jesus still has, has to do work. Yes, he will work in and through us to help us get to fullness of life. But the actual forgiveness of sins, done. Done deal. We don't got to earn it. We don't got to do nothing for it. But so that's that's the seated part. He rose again, ascended into heaven. He is in the heavenly place, seated with the Father. Again, that point of completion. And yet there will be a day that he comes again to judge the living and the dead. So that is something that... I, I think that, honestly, we all shy away from talking about, in general, this idea that there is a judgment coming, judging the living and the dead, that all people will be held accountable for their actions. And Jesus will be the one to do that. And you follow Jesus, Jesus knows you, it's paid for, it's good. You don't know Jesus, it's a, it's a big bill. I don't think you're going to be able to pay it. But this idea that Jesus does come back, there is a, a second coming, judgment and resurrection. These are all key parts of understanding that the story isn't necessarily over and done with. Jesus still is working through time. Well, and I think it's important, too, that the reason that acknowledging the judgment is essential is because we have to recognize that sin is real and comes with consequence it's a violation of god's law and there will be a judgment for that now this is again a good example of where maybe we can bicker back and forth about the details so some people will argue about when is judgment going to happen does it happen the moment we die or do we go into some kind of weird like spiritual sleep and then we all wake up and it happens all at once are we going to be judged one at a time or as a whole like all the specific things really don't matter as much as recognizing it's going to happen. Right. It's going to happen. And the one who's doing it is going to be Jesus Christ, the man, the God that walked here. He is going to be the one to preside over this judgment. That That is going to happen. And we have to recognize that because, again, we have to recognize that Sin, which is a violation of God's law, is real and will be punished. Um, but fortunately, there's more to it than that. Yep. I was going to say, as, as I, you know, you read through it and it's like, man, this, this part's really heavy without going through the rest of it, which is why you need the whole creed. Yes. Can't just do bits and pieces of the creed. Yeah. You need the whole thing because it moves on to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, ben, do you want to do you want to jump in on that section again? Well, it says I believe in the Holy Spirit, <laughs> but <laughs> about the rest of it, yeah, I know. Um, it does say I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Got to have that part too. What is what does Amen mean? It's like it is agreed or something like that. Is it is agreed. Let it be so. Something along those lines. Yeah. Let it be so. That doesn't just, it doesn't flow off the tongue as well. Yeah. 
But I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so again, we come back to, this is where we get the triune nature of God. It's not biune. I don't like that word. I just made that up. But it's not not a dual nature of God. It is the triune nature of God. He exists as God the Father, as Jesus the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's really, really important, actually, because the thing is, when Jesus left, we weren't left on our own. He did not leave and go into heaven and then abandon us. He said, I am sending one who is greater than me. (laughs) I'm sending you an advocate. Somebody who's going to defend you. Someone who's going to strengthen and equip you. And the Holy Spirit is where we believe really everything we're able to do in the movement back towards God comes from. Yeah. Every step that we can take in reconciliation is, is fueled by the Holy Spirit. All the, the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that stuff, it's gifts from the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. All of the ways that we live in accordance with God's word comes from the Holy Spirit. So, Really, this is the first step in, in real hope that humanity outside of Israel had seen because the Holy Spirit was available to all people. Mm-hmm. And anybody, no matter how weak they were, could be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and receive the strength of the Holy Spirit. And in that could basically it could be made right with God. Any thoughts on any other thoughts on the Holy Spirit there, Will? Like, why is it essential that we believe in the yeah, Holy Spirit? I, I think that it's essential because it is the third part of the Trinity. However, like looking at the Holy Spirit, there are many, many different ways to understand how the Holy Spirit works through people. And the important part to remember is that the Holy Spirit works through people. How it does so might look different for everybody. In fact, it's going to look a little different for everybody because God's working through different things on different people at different rates, different paces. But the Holy Spirit is that which comes to help us cleanse ourselves, to help us become whole again, to whatever churchy language you want to use, but it points us to God and helps us to be reconciled to him. Helps us to live the best possible life. Gives us a little bit of conviction here and there. Uh, sometimes a lot of conviction here and there, but he points us to the life that we are supposed to live. And it's important to know that 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 peace of God lives in with you, with your spirit. Like he is there with you every day. And that goes back to the Jesus understands. Jesus understands. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus walks with you every day. I, I think this is another good example where we can point back to this idea of you can have a very surface level grasp of this and just believe that the Holy Spirit is of God. It is God. Like it is God's Holy Spirit. You can just grasp that part and not understand the whole triune nature. Actually, I I would say you probably may never understand the triune nature. It is difficult to grasp that. It really is. But even if you have just a surface level grasp and you know it, that's all you need. 
Now, there is a lot of depth, though, because some people say, well, does the Holy Spirit still do miracles? Or is he, you know, there's the charismatic movements of it. Is there still going to be spirit healing? Peoples. Yeah. But like, to be honest, it doesn't really matter as long as you grasp that the Holy Spirit is where the gifts of God come from. That's right. what's those important. are. Those are secondary things. So which we might talk about soon. Oh, I do like the sound of that. It sounds like a follow up episode. So then, Will, we have we the holy – I'm sorry. What are you saying? The good old holy Catholic Church. The holy Roman the Catholic, Catholic Church, right? No, no, not the Roman Catholic Church. The not holy the Catholic Church. Church, the universal church, meaning the church as it encompasses the whole world and not just one denomination, not just one local church, not just one district or region or country. It is all members. So, Will, why is belief in the Holy Catholic Church an essential doctrine? So, yeah, like the, the church is everybody that believes in Jesus. Everyone of faith in Jesus, you are part of the Holy Catholic Church. And that's important because the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, even if we're not always doing the best job at being the body of Christ. But it, it is a very important part of God's instrument through the world to influence the world, to help better the world, to lead other people to him. This is the chosen instrument to do so. Yep. And it's important that we recognize that because there are many people that like to you know, do the, the good old, I don't need a church. I got my Jesus and I'm good. I don't got theology. I just got good old neology. Neology. Oh yeah, that's a, neology. That's a, that's a new one robot. for me. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The the people that don't want to be associated with the body because uh, you know we can be honest and say the body can be a little stressful at times. It can. The body don't always agree with each other, and I mean that's kind of the whole point I'm talking about. Like, what's essential? What do we actually really need to agree with each other? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot. Like, we, we probably won't even scratch the surface of all the things because there are so many little things that are disagreed upon in Scripture. And how do we understand when this person says this? There's a lot out there. But as long as we are bound together as the Holy Catholic Church, as one body of believers, all striving to do our best to live the life the Holy Spirit is guiding us to, then we're... we're doing a good job we are trying and god's gonna honor that we are all part of that body that god is trying to influence and impact the world it might look a little different for everybody your own local church might look different but we're still all in this together even though we like to debate theology and all that we're all in it together i think this is one of those ones where it's almost easier to understand not as a just why it's important that we believe it, but also why it's important that we don't deny it. Because if the Holy Scriptures refer to the big C church as the body of Christ, if we are the hands and feet of God, then to reject the church and say, I don't have to do anything with the church, I don't want anything to do with the church, is to reject the body. 
this is one of those things where it's almost like, even if you cannot grasp why in God's name do I have to be a part of a church? Why do I have to do whatever it is, however you decide you want to be a part of the church, whether it's give up an hour of my Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday, or even have a house church? Why do I have to be in communion with the saints? which that was part that we should have read with the Holy Catholic Church because it's the same idea. Why do I have to be in communion with the saints? Because to reject them, to reject your fellow believers and say, no, 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 my relationship with God is just between me and God is to reject the body of Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's not people that chose to be the instruments of God. God chose people to be his instruments. And the reality is he has done that from the very beginning. That's why Adam and Eve were charged to be good stewards of the earth. Not because God couldn't do it himself, but because he wanted to act through humanity. It's why Moses was the one who went to speak to Pharaoh. God didn't need Moses to say anything to Pharaoh. He could have done the plagues without him. But he sent Moses because God acts through people, and that is his choice. And when we deny all of the other people, we're denying his primary means of acting in the world. And. The next one we have after this, unless you had something to add to that one, but the next one we have forgiveness of sins and the resurrection, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This is the hope here. Yep. That circles back to that judging of the living and the dead, which again, you don't read it all together and that can be a little heavy, a little depressing. That's why it's all together to make sure that we recognize that there is forgiveness of our sins. That's why they end with this, to recognize that this is the end. The judgment is not the end. The end is the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting for those who believe. Yes, there is there is great hope to hold on to. Yeah. A, a key tenet of Christianity, if I would, is having hope. Yeah. Having hope in the things that are unseen, having faith that God is who he says he is and who he has showed himself to be time and time again, not just within the scriptures, but I am sure you will have encountered somebody in your life that has a testimony of the goodness of God, whether it be through the acting of his holy instrument, the church, or through the acting of the Holy Spirit in some way, shape, or form, or even just having that moment reading the scriptures, realizing that they are forgiven. It's hope. We hold on to that because God has said, I have forgiven your sins. We need to hold on to that as an essential core part of our beliefs to understand who we are in this world, that we are forgiven. We don't have to hold on to all the things that we have ever done wrong. God's already forgiven us of those things. He says you're good. He says, go and sin no more. Yeah. And forgive others too. Mm-hmm. We don't have to hold on to their sins anymore either because we don't have to worry about judging them. Jesus is going to do that and he's going to do it perfectly. So we just focus on the forgiveness. Um, I think too, again, this is such a, uh, the question is what makes this essential for all of this? 
Well, the thing is, the reason forgiveness of sins is an essential doctrine and an essential belief for us to have is because if there is no forgiveness of sins, then we cannot stand before God. Even if you believe in every other part of this, but you don't believe in the forgiveness, well, then there is no standing before God without forgiveness. And the reason that we have to believe in a resurrection of the body and everlasting life after this is because if there is no resurrection of the body, if there is no life everlasting, then none of this really matters. None of this really matters for us. If there, if this is it and we get our, you know, at best 120 years on this planet and then that's it, there's no resurrection, there's no life everlasting, then well, why not just kind of eat, pray, love and die, right? This is what, what the reason that this is essential is because it reminds us that there is an eternal perspective in all of this and in everything we do. You have to understand that life is more than just the, you know, few days to 120 years that we get on this earth. It is all a, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? I, for something I, that precedes, like it use, all precedes yeah, eternity. I, I like to use the Old Testament example of sojourners. It's yeah. such a wonderful old school word that we don't talk yes. about enough. But the sojourners were, were travelers that were there for a short time. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are in this earth. We are sojourners. We are here for a short time. And it's these things that can give us hope in the long run that we are forgiven of the sins that we have committed, that there is going to be a resurrection of the body, life everlasting, that God has something so much bigger for us than just this life. We are sojourners in this world, going through it, holding on to the hope of all of these things. Yeah. Like Will said, we really only are scratching the surface of all of these things. So if you're finding yourself in that position where you're like, well, okay, I believe in God and I believe he's creator of the heaven and earth, but I just, I can't fathom how that's okay. If you're saying, well, I, I get that I'm supposed to believe that God's a Trinity, but I don't understand it. How can he be fully God and fully man? That's okay. You don't have to understand how just believe that he is. You know, I I, want to believe in the forgiveness of sins and everything, but how could God forgive me? How can he forgive that person? Don't worry about that. Because he has and he will. Don't get so caught up on the details to the point where you, you miss just grasping the bigger picture, the big beliefs here. These are the essential doctrines. These are the things that we have to believe. And there's a lot of depth here. And we could spend the rest of our lives studying them. And in fact, I would encourage you to spend the rest of your lives doing everything you can to learn and understand these better. But don't get so caught up on the details. Remember what matters. Remember what's essential. Remember what it is that makes us Christians. If you can start with that, then we can all end up on the same page. Thanks again for listening this week. We'd like to give a special thank you to Travis D'Amato for both our theme music and sound editing. If you like either, you can find and contact him at Music 93 on Instagram. That's D-A-M-A-T-O music 93. 
Remember to follow us on social media at Everyday Faith Podcast. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to share it. We're always looking for feedback to help us grow, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Everyday Faith Podcast. Thank you.